Hello everyone and welcome to episode 187 of the Fun With Cars Formula 1 podcast for coverage of the Russian Grand Prix from Sakhai, Russia. That is not how it's pronounced. Sakhai. No, we just talked about this. Sokhai. Oh, oh, goodness. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And I speak just enough Russian, understand just enough Russian to, to know when uh, people are mispronouncing things. So it was kind of hilarious hearing uh, Lewis Hamilton's butchered, I don't know what he said, but it was bad. Um, so... <laughs> Because yeah, I've, I have Russian in-laws. You know, they speak Russian. They're from Ukraine. But um, so you know, I, I'm actually you know I can hear the uh, hear the difference, and it's kind of funny. And I've you know not been to Sochi myself, but been right down the, right down the road in Crimea, and uh, it's, it's a lovely part of the country, even if it may take forever to get a beer. So says our friend Jamie. Anyway, um, are you Jim Lau? Can we get can we can we move on? Did I not specify? I thought I did. Well, I am Jim Lau. Well, good. I just I just want to clarify. Maybe you did, and if you did, you've said it twice, and I think that is what our fans deserve because you were great. A lot has happened since our last podcast. It, yes, and uh, not least of which, Romain Grosjean has been confirmed as a driver for Haas F1, of course, the forthcoming American uh, entrant for Formula One next year. Indeed, he has. Um, Red Bull has pissed everybody off and is you know scrambling for an engine deal. Yeah, now they are now they are uh, ruining the t- all the times that they were digging on Renault and saying things like, "Oh, we're willing to." get back with Renault and I I just I don't know what to say about those guys it's they had so much hubris and like we're better than all this now they've got no engines right well I think they probably will work something out with Renault is, is my opinion so the whole the whole Red Bull threat is that they're going to leave uh, and of course looking at their contract um, which people have done and some of these things are sort of behind closed doors but I think the industry pretty well understands the nature of some of these contracts at least um, is that they would have to pay $500 million, maybe it's pounds, euros, doesn't matter, half a billion 500 million units of something. Of, which is a lot of whatever it is. Exactly. Um, to not be in Formula One. Unless it's lira, which is like $17, I think. I don't think. think that's a thing anymore. I think it's euros now. And that's, that, anyway. <laughs> if it's kroner. <laughs> 500 million lira. Yes, it's lira. Okay. Um, but, so they'd have to pay, you know, half a billion things to not be in Formula One, which is you know, not that different from what it would cost to just be there, even if you're not doing super well. So obviously the contracts are set up uh, in such a way. And, you know, Bernie Ecclestone is, if he's good at one thing, it's probably, you know, uh, figuring out contracts in his own best interest and, you know, with just enough concessions to get the other person to sign on, yes. uh, whether that's a company, a TV station, a track promoter, uh, you know, whatever, um, you know, he's a very shrewd businessman. And uh, this seems like another business deal that's, you know, done just enough to keep Red Bull on the hook. Um, and, you know, they obviously got them to sign on, uh, but they, I really don't think it makes sense for them to leave. And of course they're going to uh, talk about that. And, oh yeah, we're going to threaten to leave the sport, whatever. But I think the people, um, you know, really making the decisions with money and boards of directors and, you know, people looking at this, the investment that is Formula One as a marketing part of Red Bull, uh, the global brand, um, would look at this and say, wait, why would we spend this much money to not do this thing when, even though we can still do this thing and, you know, we can still, um, even if we're not a front running, uh, a front running team, um, you know, there's lot, lots can change and, uh, you know, engine deals and things, they, they can figure something out. So now that Mercedes has said they definitely will not supply Red Bull engines uh, and that they will supply Manor engines, which is cool, and that Manor right. also will get... And we're uh, going to get to that. Well, let's just skip, skip because oh, I want to talk about that so more. It's going to be so cool, man. It's going to be so great. I, I want to so, get through this first. Okay, so Red Bull is not getting Mercedes engines. And Ferrari said, well, we'll give you your old engines. Yeah, and Ferrari said, yeah, we'll get you engines. Which one? Yeah. Uh, well, previous year spec, like what almost you, like a... Have you, guys, like, have you guys seen our new California yeah. turbocharged? That's great. Yeah, try, try that out. <laughs> so, which is... 
funny because Ferrari says, you know, why, you know, they they have their own, you know, the, Ferrari isn't doesn't doesn't sell engines to use in other road cars like Mercedes does, like other you know high performance cars and stuff. Um, so it's like for Ferrari's marketing message and what they need to show us, Ferrari being the pinnacle of Italian passion and automotive, um, you know, brilliance and engineering and everything. Um, they don't really need a customer Red Bull to well, show that. Yeah, but that's know? not the one. I mean, Ferrari supplies engines to other teams. Right, but not I other... mean, they supplied STR right. originally. No, I know. But that's you know not a team that has a th- really a threat of over- uh, overtaking them, I don't think. You know, like, uh, yeah, of course, there's from Ben Ferraris and, the, you know, was, uh, Marusha Ferraris for a while. And, you know, yes. the, um, they could say the STRs. And Sauber. And, yeah, there's been, yeah. You know, there's been these other teams. But that they're like, it's part of racing and it's like a, a proper, you know, like Sauber is you know, and Williams as well, and STR, it's like, you know, they're these small shops that all they do is racing. It's not part of a big global empire or part of some other thing. So for Ferrari, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll sell you engines. Sure, that's fine. Um, you know, you'll get last year's power units because I think... That's actually not true. Though. Williams sells T-shirts. Ah, uh, that's true. So they're they're expanding. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's... I mean, for me, my own personal stake on it was Red Bull was way too harsh on Renault all along. Did Renault have problems? Absolutely. But the fact of the matter is we saw it again today. STR, Max Verstappen piloting, was ahead of both Red Bulls in qualifying. Mm-hmm. And so if it's just the engine, why aren't you guys at least dominating your quote-unquote support team? And I, I just feel like Red Bull was looking for someone to blame, so they picked Renault, and now they're eating their own words. Yeah, I mean, I've, I just have such little sympathy for them. I have sympathy in the sense that I think Daniel Ricciardo is a brilliant guy. I want him to be in Formula 1. He's a great driver, great personality. Don't want to see him go. Right. And Daniel Kvyat is quite capable, young. Uh, well, I'm sorry, old compared to Max, but youngish. And I'd like to see him stay and continue. Those are the people I'm concerned about more than anybody else. Um, what's his face? Mr. Buffon. Um who you Christian, Horner? Oh, Christian Horner. Christian Horner. He's married Buffon. to a Spice Girl now, so I come on. <laughs> so how seriously can we take him? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, spare a thought, of course, for all, all the people that work at those teams, and that's part of what I think we've talked about. Oh, sure. Um, over the years, is how much the culture at Red Bull, um, you know, for their four years of constructor championship dominance, um, was all about getting all the bonuses for getting points and scoring victories and uh, constructors championships and all that, and then how much that fell apart and how the morale really changed and the tone really changed and all the really best people seemed to have been hired off to other companies and other race teams. So it's like. It's not just, oh, this Renault is terrible. It's like, well, our whole corporate culture is not necessarily the culture, but like the whole morale and the, you know, the spirit of the company has, has really fallen apart. And when it's not um, looking back at a legendary history of, of racing, like even McLaren has or like Williams has or Ferrari or whatever, one of these teams that I mean, has a whole. So many. I mean, going back to Sauber, Sauber's been in it for 30 years now. Right. And even, you know, Force India, when you look back with Jordan and Midland and Spiker and whatever, there's there's history there and they're there as a race company and whatever. So, but, you know, with Red Bull, of course, there are people that work well, there. Well, I mean, in that same, he's that same stint, though. I mean, they were Jaguar and they were uh, Stewart. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but as far as like where the money comes from and who's making the decisions, there's not, you know, it's, you know, Mr. Red Bull, Mr. Dietrich Medeschitz is not a sort of, you know, longtime racer guy. He's a longtime promoter guy and he knows how True. to make money and, you know, build brands and, 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 you know, deal with action sports and all kinds of exciting things. But it's not about seeing the ups and downs of the cycles of racing and, you know, looking at it over a span of decades and figuring it all out. So I think that's probably the biggest issue. 
and that's, there's no quick fix for that. You know, maybe if they if they bought Mercedes engines and then all of a sudden everything was way faster, um, and if they got back to dominance right, right away, then you know they would start being able to hire the team, you know, hire the people back, and everybody would feel great. But that's not a guarantee. Um, oh, not you know? even, not even close. <laughs> so yeah, and, and you know we always hear about the Adrian Newey like amazing cars, but we haven't seen Adrian Newey at a race in quite some time. We've seen him at endurance races, not an F, not an F1. We know he's still somehow a little bit involved with the cars, but really seems to have taken a step back. From yeah, the, I know, think it's uh, BYNO. By name only. Yeah. So it's, you know. Wait, where's the Y? I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't going to call you out for that. but B-N-O, I guess. I, but, B-I-N-O, whatever. There's some term with uh, letters. Okay. Anyway, uh, moving on to a much happier topic, Manor F1. As you so briefly mentioned, they have two major announcements in the span of uh, two weeks. First, was that they have made a technical partnership agreement with Williams. They're going to get Williams suspension bits, Williams transmission, and Williams technical help to help develop their car and uh, take what we can only assume will be a big step forward from where they are now. And they're doing reasonably well right now, so that in of itself has a lot of potential. Right. I mean, And, hmm? sorry, um, they're switching to... Mercedes engines. Right, which of course makes sense for the Williams partnership. Exactly. Having, you know, transmissions that mate with Mercedes engines will be a big advantage in how that all works. So, yeah, to have a very similar running gear to the Williams cars, which as, you know, as we'll talk about here, have done have done quite well and, um, you know, obviously have been uh, right up there behind uh, Mercedes and Ferrari in the championships, but right up there and, and you know, better than Red Bull in a lot of cases and, uh, and right there. So um, I don't expect Manor to immediately be uh, on par with Williams straight away, but the fact that they can jump up there and be on maybe a Force India kind of level and a Red Bull STR kind of level and, and be fighting there. And then that's, as we talked about with Red Bull, can be a, a good positive momentum, you know, to come back from Marussia being on the brink of not existing at all and basically not existing at all. And then right. to, to come back from that and then to take this huge step forward. Um, and a very clever, shrewd way of doing so as well. I mean, it, don't forget, I mean, this is my opinion, but this is really good for Williams, too, because all of a sudden now Williams has two extra cars, two extra huge uh, important data points of how their different equipment is working, and that will help Williams in their development, in my opinion, and especially development and transmission. Those are important bits that allows Williams to help, plus Williams will make a couple bucks from this, I hope, which will help push them along. So there's... Yeah. There's advantages on both sides. And I think it helps Mercedes because, of course, this is all Mercedes stuff. And I think part of the deal there is that Mercedes will have some input into um, one of the one of the seats at Manor. So if they, uh, you know, have a you know a bunch of talent and they want to get someone in a car and, you know, make some deals there, um, this, this essentially gives them a very similar arrangement to Haas F1 with Ferrari. Yes. Where they've got a technical partnership and kind of a working agreement. Um, it's not officially. It's not like a Red Bull STR thing where there's official ownership and stuff. But it's, um, you know, a, they, we're working together on this and you're kind of the junior team and then we've got the senior team and all that so because uh, mercedes right now of course has a very strong pairing of course with lewis hamilton and nico rosberg um but it, everyone's got to be looking at the next generation and who who's going to be the next guy and how's that all gonna uh you know play out and you know what if um as a as a relief driver if somebody either switches teams or something bad happens um or just you know hey what's going to be in, in five more years and ten more years you know everybody wants to plan for the future so um Ferrari had a, a you know some nice clever partnerships and it's probably clever on both sides you know good for Haas good for Ferrari to have sort of an unofficial junior team and this technical partnership and hey get up one of our uh, lower end drivers in there and now uh, Mercedes slash Williams slash 
uh, Manor has this good partnership as well. So as John Booth uh, from Manor has said, this kind of gives them nowhere to hide. Saying, yeah, hey, right. we're going to be out there and we're not just backmarkers anymore. Um, and even looking at this race uh, with as much attrition as there was in Russia, um, it was, you know, 13th for Roberto Mary and 14th for Will Stevens, uh, one and two laps down respectively, uh, which is you know, not a not a stellar performance, but the fact that you know they were still there at the end. Well, all these other problems happened on around them, and they you know were able to to hold on to it. The and, first guy behind Will, of course, was Daniel Ricardo with the DNF. Right. So they were still the back, but exactly what you're saying, they won't necessarily be the last people finishing anymore. And where Haas F1 is going to fall, it's going to be somewhere towards the back. Well, we they, didn't, know they that. didn't have any throttle pedals that broke. You know, That's a true. few laps into the race. You this know, is very true. They didn't, they didn't make any stupid moves. Neither the drivers, you know, had any any problems that knocked them into any other cars or mistakes or anything. You know, it's just like that's what you need to do as a backmarker. And now they're look, taking the next step. I think on a solid foundation, taking the next step to move forward and uh, and sort of you know as a team now they you know have really uh, come together and understand that. So I'm really excited to see how that pans out. Absolutely, I agree with you completely. I'm excited for it as well. And this year, for this year, I said we might see all ten teams score a point this year. Well. Manor has not. It does not look terribly likely that they will in the remaining four races. But depending on how far along Haas has been doing the right things as a new team coming in, partnering with Ferrari and everything else, is Ferrari going to be towards the back? Absolutely. But maybe not too terribly far. Maybe they can score an odd point here and there. in their inaugur- What did I say? Ferrari. Haas <laughs> partnered with Ferrari, God. yes. Okay. And sorry. And so... I think there's a good chance that Haas could score a point here and there. And with Manor getting these new partnerships, it's it's quite possible that next year could be the year that every single team scores a point. Right. And it's still possible this year. I mean, the fact that they were 13th and 14th, mostly because there were so many other front runners that were out, of course, with Nico Rosberg's failure that we'll talk about, um, and, you know, getting him out of the mix, and then uh, the, the late, rate, late race issues with the other drivers, and some of the crashes and so on, this was probably, you know, one of their better chances, um, unless, you know, who knows, right, if we have a, a wet race in Brazil, or, um, you know, I don't know, you know, with Abu Dhabi is not usually <laughs> not sort of dramatic and crazy, but, you know, if there's some big crash or some, you know, something happens that takes out a bunch of people, and all of a sudden yeah. they're there to, to you know, collect what's left um you know the fact that they're you know just a few spots outside of the points today um like i said they're probably not going to be there because they're you know passing lots of people on track but to be able to stay out of trouble and have a reliable car and just you know make things happen is uh, is good and, you know we haven't seen penalties we haven't seen bonehead moves from those guys so it seems like you know things are working well there at a, at a low level and they're next year are be you know be taking a big step up so Anyway, that's uh, I think it's again unlikely, but not impossible that uh, that you know Manor Marussia will score a point this year. But um, you know who knows. And it was speaking of scoring a point, uh, Alonso was going to score one point for finishing tenth in a uh, another slog of a race, I guess in the in the McLaren Honda. Um, but because he cut a corner uh, near the end of the race, he had a five second grid penalty, which moved him out to eleventh. Um, Jensen Button though did get two points, so um, he was able to uh, bring a couple of points home for McLaren, but. Um, just you know, I'm glad you mentioned have, that. And uh, yeah. Jensen was ahead of Alonso the entire way through, and it has been confirmed that Jensen will be back at McLaren next year, or at least on the McLaren side, they've announced it officially. Yeah, well, he had he had a contract to be there, but there was all this question about you know. Well, they had the option to extend it another right. year, and now McLaren has officially said. Yes, we're going to take yeah, that Yeah, and Button is said too. I mean, he's confirmed all that. He said, yeah, it was just it was a little bit weird the way, you know, everyone, they were you know, waiting to confirm and we were waiting to see kind of what the options were and what was going on. Um, like maybe behind the scenes they were talking about, oh, can we move up Kevin Magnussen or Stoppel Van Doren or, you know, maybe there was some behind the scenes nonsense. Um, but also the whole, 
button just being dissatisfied with how far off the pace the car is to decide to take an option out. But uh, yeah, so that is confirmed. So uh, next year will be the same lineup, Button and Alonso. And uh, we can only hope that in the offseason, you know, Honda makes a big step forward and McLaren together. Which does uh, confirm that Jensen Button will not be one of the hosts on the newly formed Top Gear with its new hosts. Right. So want law for that, I suppose. Because that was that was actually it was funny. I hadn't paid too much attention to it, but that was the one thing I was like, that might pull me back into Top Gear. Because ironically enough, I was out of Top Gear even before this whole thing went down with Jeremy Clarkson. I was just kind of done with the antics they were starting to feel wrote to me. So I was like, okay. Uh it just wasn't drawing me in like before. But the idea of Jensen Button being one of the hosts, I was like, Yeah. Yeah, I'd watch that. I would yeah. definitely watch that. And uh, so, I don't know, Top Gear. Find someone, find another driver. That'd be yeah. sweet. Well, it looks like the new new face Top Gear may, may be a very different format. I think they're getting away from the three hosts format anyway. So, uh, which, you know, some people will say, oh, maybe that maybe that talent search didn't come out very well. Did you ever apply for that, by the way? I, I did thought, not I ever. I thought you should, be, you should be on that show. I, 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 would, I would have loved to have done so. I just, alas, my... Uh, my old bones just weren't quite up to pointing <laughs> me. If Jensen Button was in the running, then certainly you could have made it. Jensen Button is younger than I am. By like a week or something. By, uh, well, let's see, six weeks. Anyway, uh, I, I never, I just couldn't hold up my iPhone that long. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I'll be I'll be starring on a different show of some kind one day. One day. Anyway, uh, there, was, there was more news that wasn't racing that, oh, but oh. Goodness gracious, yes. So, it is not racing news, but it does tie into racing news. And it is huge news for me in my day job, Volkswagen. Right. Diesels. Yes. Not so much were they doing the right thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> they. So, I was, I was genuinely surprised. I was like, gosh, the vast majority of diesel cars in the United States, at least nowadays, have to run some sort of urea um supplement that mixes with the exhaust of the diesel and takes out uh, a lot of the nitrous oxides and those types of things and makes for a much cleaner tailpipe. Audi didn't need to do that. They weren't running urea. And I was like, God, how do they pull that off when Mercedes and Chrysler and most others still do this? Turns out they were doing that by cheating. <laughs> right. So we got an email from Paul Peard, a uh, longtime friend of the show, um, who, who sent us a note on, in, uh, with a link to a BBC article about this um, saying, you know, the changes will not be painless. And uh, quotes oh out a line from there saying, you know, all investments that are not deemed absolutely necessary are being are being reviewed and, you know, basically not necessarily on hold, but definitely everything's being looked at. Um, of course, you know, was it uh, Martin Winklehorn uh, stepped down? Uh, was Yes. Was, was fired, but with a huge severance package and made all kinds of money anyway. But that's all being investigated. It's a whole thing. The golden I'm, I'm, parachute, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure people know know about this. This isn't the first they're hearing about VW. So here's the thing. Volkswagen set aside $7 billion to cover this. That's not going to be enough. Once they started realizing, oh boy, this is coming. So they knew about it well ahead of time. Well, of course they knew about it from the beginning. Um, but well, knew, somebody knew about it. Somebody knew about it from the beginning. Who exactly is a little bit, but I... It's hard to believe that it was totally missed by fairly high people. Someone high up knew. Was it was it uh, Winkerheim? Not not necessarily. Anyway, and I just said his name wrong. What's his name? Uh, no, none of you said the it. outgoing. It doesn't matter. Yeah, Winter, Wintercorn. Martin Wintercorn. Wintercorn. There it is. I think I said it wrong the first time too. Anyway, uh, they set aside seven billion dollars. But I've read several articles on this, and I've heard uh, 
between 50 and 100 billion dollars is more likely to be the full cost of this because there's lo- obviously class action lawsuits will come in some form somehow. Well, they're already being yeah being assembled right. um, from just from uh, owners, from fleet managers, from governments, from right. air pollution you know regulatory companies. That's in the U.S. That's in some England, people. That's in Europe. It's like, some people are leaking the faulty Volkswagen and Audi diesels to deaths because of air quality. It's a stretch in some ways, but it isn't. Right, exactly. It's it's gray area, certainly. It's smoggy gray area. I feel like we could we could probably do a whole show about this because it's it's really interesting as an engineering challenge, right? I mean, you know, we've both worked in automotive engineering. You more so more directly than I have um, with. Uh, you know, your program manager comes to you with a, a set of requirements. It's okay, our next, you know, we're making this new powertrain. We need to achieve all these targets for horsepower and for weight and for yeah. size and for everything. And of course, emissions is, is always going to be part of that. There's all these rules they have to follow and so on. So you can completely imagine um, the test case where someone says, oh, wait, actually, if we do this, you know, like that's that's kind of what engineering is all about, right? It's clever solutions to, okay, when, when the driver's doing this, we want to achieve, we want to, you know, make, make this transmission behave a certain way, make the engine, tra- you know, engine behave a certain way. Make at the end of the sounds, day, all these kind of things. at the end of the day, all an engineer is, is a problem solver. Break, take out all the other technical nonsense. That's what an engineer does. Problem comes, they find a way to solve it. Yeah. That's what they do. You are very much an engineer, even though you don't specifically have the uh, the degree, piece of paper that says so. You're very much an engineer. You're a problem solver all the time. Um, I, I, someone at Volkswagen saw a problem. It's like here's a way to solve it. But he, there's another like to me. This is so weird and satisfying in the sense like yeah, I guess cheaters do never prosper. There's another example because it's like we've seen it time and time again where people just try to skirt an issue. And it eventually comes back, and when it comes back, boy, it hits you way harder. Well, yeah. Although to to make I guess to to you know continue the previous point, like this is it's a it's a clever way of solving a problem. But in this case, by skirting the rules, they're they're not really solving the problem. They're 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 meeting the test, but not meeting the the whole spirit of the law. Um, well, they did solve the problem. They solved the problem of passing the government yeah, regulations for exactly. diesel. Not the problem of how much does a vehicle right. when it's driving, but if the specific problem they addressed is is like, hey, right. make, this, make this pass the test, they made it pass the test. So what's interesting about this, as opposed to we've had so many recalls, of course, with all you know, with GM stuff and Toyota and Takata and all kinds of, you know, there's so many recalls lately. Yep. The, the three you just mentioned are the three that are most softly often referenced yes as i just did now so add those to the tallies um those are almost always you know unintentional things right it's like oh we, we you know we found that we made a mistake earlier or it turns out this thing we thought was safe is not safe but it was not <laughs> can, you, can you imagine if takata was like yeah we we wanted to we wanted that to happen right so it, 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 there is, but that's the whole that's the difference with the vw thing and why it's been such a big uh penalty and why you know lawsuits and whatever because you can't um, you know, I think any company and anybody's going to make mistakes. And of course, there's corporate insurance and there's all kinds of things to say, oh, yeah, we can go through all of our records and show that we tried to do everything. And we, we made all these tests and we, we tried to pass all of our internal things. And yet somehow, you know, something went out into the world that was unsafe. And then, you know, we figured it out. We solved the problem. We, we made a recall and did our best to, to get around it. The difference with the VW thing, of course, was this intent. You know, someone uh, somewhere in the chain of command of engineers and, you know, engineering managers and so on made the decision to say, hey, we can put this code in and pass this test. So that's why it's, it's, it's interesting and, and different of, and, you know, uh, how much that ma- matters in the, you know, in the eyes of the law in different countries and all that is, is interesting. But 
as to, to tie this back to, to racing for a moment, uh, of course, Excellent. VW being um, you know parent of, of Volkswagen and Porsche and Audi um, and Bugatti and Lamborghini, you know, when you, when you look down. Yeah, and keep going. Seat, uh, Skoda. Bentley, right? Bentley. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, and then uh, Man, M-A-N-N, semi-trucks. I think they own... God, there's another big one as well that's mainly Europe. Anyway, if long I list. Think, maybe I don't know. Anyway, long list. The point. Lots of diesels. Lots of well, lots of diesels, but also lots of motorsport. You know, when they're looking at anything not deemed absolutely necessary, if they look at a DTM program for Audi, do they say, "Oh, is that necessary?" I mean, the interesting is thing is 24 hours of Le Mans. Right. Well, Le Mans, absolutely necessary. Where that whole story there has been diesel, and the whole cars have been, "Oh, Audi TDI and whatever." And now that the Audi TDI name has been tarnished. Are they looking really closely at a 2017 program, 2016 program to say, oh, hey, we really need to go out there and show that our diesels are great. And, yeah. our- and we should specifically say, just in case folks don't know, it is Volkswagen and Audi engines yeah. that are the culprit of this issue. Which have also been put out in Seat cars as well and Skodas and stuff too. I mean, it's, it's a, I, think, I don't know if the engine originally was a VW or Audi engine, but it's, it's definitely been in a lot of vehicles, you know, in several brands of vehicles. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't, of course, get Seats or Skodas here in the U.S., but uh, we've definitely heard from friends uh, in the rest of the world that uh, are, are dealing with that in their other VW brand vehicles. So, you know, of course, the, all, there's, if, a, you know, Audi TDI as a race program um, you know, the, part of their whole point was pri- pioneering, you know, clean diesel and all the stuff, which now is basically going to be just laughed at in the industry when it's like, oh, Audi, yeah, clean, really? How yeah. clean? Huh? Like, yeah. And the one thing, it's, I, it's, it's interesting. I'm pulling it away from racing again for a moment. Sorry. Now there's a, it's just one of those things where no one was thinking about it, it was swept under the rug. Now everyone, now they're looking at all diesels across all the brands. This could be, this could be the thing that actually hurts diesel holistically where you're getting into more and more of a greenhouse gas environment, ecology's point of view, more people are saying more diesels are actually dirtier than they claim. So like all of diesel <laughs> ultimately could be in big trouble. And even then, even if Volkswagen wasn't directly the cause of this, they would still be in trouble because they, just as you said, heavily market diesel, clean diesel technology, TDI, and all this kind of stuff, and they're in trouble. So what that means is DTM, WEC, both things are in real trouble. Volkswagen was very seriously talking about buying a Formula One team. Yeah. Well, we don't know how seriously. I mean, those rumors have been around sort of forever. And sometimes they get more serious and sometimes not. This this rumor had a little bit more teeth than before. Yeah. The teeth are gone. Do you know something I don't as far as uh, behind the scenes on VW? Because, I mean, it would kind of make sense if they were to buy out Red Bull. They've had partnerships in the past, VW and Red Bull. And uh, if they said, oh, hey, no, the new Red Bull team is powered by this great new Audi TDI engine or, you know, yeah. if there's enough branding there that could make sense. But, um, you know, it's funny. I've, I've not heard anything from any Audi people in the last few weeks, actually. Yeah. It's yeah. gone. They, Audi they, and VW PR maybe not considered, but you know, completely necessary. I will me. say, though, I mean, you know, I, I talk with a lot of um, public relations folks um, across different manufacturers and every single one of them has been getting phone calls about this. Right. You know, I, a friend of mine, uh, friend of mine works at Ford Motor Company and he was like, yeah, we, I don't know how many times I said, we have nothing, we don't, we don't do that. We are, right. we're not involved. Well, that's you know, what I was going to say, you know, you're saying it could be a bigger problem for diesels. And I think it's, it's almost a bigger problem for, I mean, computer code, really, if you take a, take a several steps back, because you think about, um, you know, this is one particular test, this emissions test, and this, these diesel engines. And this was one way where they say, hey, we can get clever. We can kind of get around the way this tests for a thing is a little bit different from how it behaves in the real world. 
Well, there's so many tests like that for, um, you know, for handling, for safety, for stability control systems, for drivetrains and, you know, um, fuel consumption, all kinds of things that are not specifically about emissions or specifically about diesels, that this kind of raises the question of, well, what are these cars doing when we test them and when we crash test them and it's in a, and it's in a certain environment during a crash? How different is that from when it's out in the real world and our sensors behaving differently and our airbags firing differently or anything? And not that anyone has an incentive to make a car, you know, less safe in a crash, but um, there's always compromises with weight and the cost and everything else that goes into a vehicle. So um, it's, it's made people look more closely at, well, wait, are these tests really good enough for what we're trying to test for? And are things, are things still, you know, being cheated against us? So it's not just VW, not just Audi, but, um, our other, other companies, I mean, every, like I say, all this engineering is problem solving and trying to, you know, find particular things and solve these issues, uh, to, to make the best cars they can and make them to a price and make them to meet certain goals. So it, it means, you know, I think more serious review of there's so much computer code in, in any given car. I mean, you know, this has been the case for a long time, but here in 2015, it's just amazing. You know, the more you know about all these sensors well, and all these systems and how they all work. And let me help uh, anyone that doesn't know. If you ever heard from anyone that you need to replace a module, that's a computer. Right. Very simple one oftentimes, but any module, that's something that's run by a computer. You know, I, what there was the body control module in my wife's BMW 15 years ago, that was the computer that handled the locks and the windows and those types of things that there was a computer for that. Just as an example of the vast array of code, as you're saying, Jim, that goes through and uh, performs all the little tasks that a car does, let alone the big ones like running the engine. Right. And let alone things like, uh, you know, forward facing cameras and lasers and, you know, radar systems and stuff like that that determine a following distance and determine automatic, you know, emergency braking and blind spot monitoring and now, you know, self-driving cars and autopilot. Like there's so many yeah. things that are so safety critical and performance critical and all that. Yes. So it means, you know, I think it's it's going to be a big thing in the industry in the next few years of how, how do we know when we either buy this car or retest this car to make sure that it's safe and make sure that it meets all these requirements that that's going to be a, you know, that it's actually doing in the real world what we think it's doing in our test. Right. So and now I feel obligated to say that the vast majority of computers and the vast majority of engineers that build and program these computers are doing good work for good things and they make cars work better. Computers are not bad. Computers are very good. They've helped refine cars immensely. But they have potential well, to they, they, skate these things. Well, they, and they are almost literally black boxes, and that's the thing. Is that, like, you, know, you don't know. You so know, all you can know is, hey, we tested it under this way, and it did this thing. So you know, maybe some more visibility into yeah. that and how and, that's going to play out. And the EPA, uh, you know, which is uh, the United States uh, agency for these types of things, has said, well, we are going to elaborate our tests for various emission stuff, and we're not telling the manufacturers how we're going to elaborate the tests. And I think that you'll see that more in general, like we need to test these things a little bit more robustly and a little bit more randomly to see if we get more of a gotcha moment. Right. Because I was very directly involved with, I was effectively a computer programmer for a few years when I was at TRW Automotive doing traction control, stability control. I was, I was uh, changing the code to make the car handle a certain way. And the, what amazed me was there was always something that someone could do to throw off the code, you know, and the more you do it, you just build it as robustly as you can, but there's, there's always a way that 
there's a, there's a test out there that someone can do to throw off something. Right. And you just have to protect yourself to, you, you know, it's the medical thing. First, do no harm. Right. Right. You have to make sure that first you're doing no harm. That is absolutely critical. And then from there, you make the steps to improve. And so what I'm saying is the agencies need to flip that. And you'll see that more generally. It's just like, just throw random things at it and see how it performs. Anyway, we're probably way in the weeds now. <laughs> I was thinking about a little bit, but yeah. Um, so I think it's an interesting, um, you know, it, it's, it's similar stuff that happens in racing. I mean, we, we have seen, of course, some cheating scandals. I mean, famously Toyota's rally, um, you know, uh, turbo restrictors from, from years ago in, you know, WRC when it's like, oh, during the race when, the, when everything was, was closed, it was, it was allowing much more air through. But then when they opened the thing up to look at the valve, it closed down. It's like, you know, there was clearly some intent and they got thrown out of WRC and all that. But, um, you know, it's, you know, I wonder if this will if this will carry over into racing at all. Um, but certainly, VW being just the automotive powerhouse that they are, and their affiliation with all kinds of racing, I you know I can only think there will be some detrimental effects. We don't know how how much that'll be, but if some of these you know there's all these Lamborghini series and Bentley you know GT3 R series and all these kind of things that are happening, if some of those are determined to be not worth spending the money on for VW, who's all of a sudden you know looking at spending you know tens of billions of dollars on uh, on fines and legal problems and car you know recalls and all kinds of things, so. Uh, Hopefully it's, uh, you know, it, right now it doesn't directly affect F1, but certainly this is the kind of thing that through the industry, uh, it'll be it'll be years before I really understand the impact of uh, how this is all shaking out. Yeah, and there's going to be ripple effects that we have not yet seen. Right. Anyway, there was a race today. There was, and Nico Rosberg was on pole position because uh, Lewis decisively couldn't so. couldn't get his uh, his act together. It's like he had an okay lap that was what three tenths behind uh, Rosberg's, uh, which is not usually his thing. You know, Rosberg was ahead in all three qualifying sessions, all uh, three qualifying sessions, and in both runs in Q three. Right, and then Lewis, you know, he had he had this this one, uh, you know, what over overbreaked him, outbreaked himself, kind of went off, and then just you know been the rest of the lap said oh never mind I'll, you know i'll just stick with second and, and it's really kind of weird how it petered out because then as soon as that happened rossberg just went back into the pits anyway so it was like oh i i guess that's our pole because you know yeah, ferrari was a little right. bit off and they weren't going to get it so you know q3 definitely kind of petered out after uh after hamilton's mistake basically um but yeah it wasn't it wasn't clear that hamilton would have been able to uh you know have a you know certainly not a decisive pole it could have been very very close um uh, if he had been able to correctly do his uh his second run at it but uh yeah well done for rossberg to Get the car, you know, just do the best they can on the very limited running they had from the very wet weekend. Um, but then, obviously, it all went wrong for him, I think, lap seven. Yeah, who's the throttle tightening guy? I don't know. I think it's maybe a different guy now than it was last week. Yeah, I'm wondering if there's a new guy. Because, yeah, it seems like such a weird, random problem to have. Yeah. That it's like, oh, my throttle. So it sounds like it was something, I don't know if it was loose or actually broken or what the actual fault was. I don't well, know if we've seen for sure. But. Yeah, and at first, I, like, seriously envisioned, like, a throttle pedal dangling around the footbox. I'm like, right. it can't be that. But I think at some point he said... Uh, you know the hydraulic link to the throttle broke yeah and basically the throttle was pinned open well i think it was it was moving the like the, there's a range of motion of the throttle and it kept moving back and back you know uh, rearward toward the driver so to get his foot all the way off to, to close the throttle i um, mean you know be completely off throttle um he had to lift oh, like his see. leg back which meant he couldn't steer correctly because then his knee would get in the place of the steering wheel yes so it's like just where the throw was in the in the throttle pedal and the linkage and all that um something was not tightened or some, I don't know some problem obviously uh, that meant that the, the you know where in the in the actual movement of the, of the throttle pedal uh, it was 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 
you know, moving and in, in such a way that he couldn't drive the car because he's like, oh, you know, either my foot's in the way and I can't steer or if I put my leg down so that I can move the wheel, then I, my foot has to be on the throttle because it's not like there's extra space in, you know, in the foot box of all places of a Formula One car. Right. Uh, you know, yeah, and, uh, you know, a centimeter here and there is, uh, is all the difference in the world. So, um Obviously, uh, you know, Rosberg was doing well at the beginning and holding off Lewis Hamilton, and then all of a sudden it just kind of went wrong for him. Um, and then, he, you know, he was around for another lap and then came and pitted, and, and, and they, you know, they were looking at it for a little bit, and then they sort of, once they were two laps down, it's like, what are they going to do yeah. to, uh, even if they could fix it then, what's the point of, uh, of running it there? So um, that was a very disappointing end for Rosberg uh, because um, it's, it's not you know, mathematically championship over as he made the point, you know, Hey, it's, it's not over until it's actually over. I'm glad he did do that. It, that was very right of him to say, but we are, he is now, uh, almost three race wins behind Lewis Hamilton and indeed not even in second place in the championship anymore. Uh, Sebastian Vettel usurped him and is now seven points ahead. So that is certainly, Getting past Sebastian Vettel is a very doable thing for Nico Rosberg, but it was through no fault of his own. It was certainly bad luck for him. Yeah, and he was super bummed about it. And then, of course, when everyone says, "Oh, well, of course, this is championship over for you, right?" And he's like, "Dude, no! Like, ah, you know, like that's that's not what he needs right now. It's like yeah, he can't I, change this." And you know, and and Lewis was like, "Yeah, it sucks. He dropped out," which you know, I guess is what he would say. Um, and it's his teammate and whatever, but uh, you know. At the same time, that's that's what happens, and sometimes you have problems, and sometimes your competitors have problems, and it is what it is. So it just it, it's really unfortunate between Nico and the team, um, and you know, thankfully there's not some. I mean, there probably there are some theories about it, but who knows? But um, that doesn't matter. It's it's you know more momentum for Lewis, more points for Lewis, and like you say, more points for Vettel. Um, you know, I, I I don't imagine Sebastian Vettel being able to you know come back and win this drivers' championship this year. Um, of course, mathematically anything is possible, but. Um, the uh, you know it's it's definitely it definitely hurts to go from um, you know would would uh, Rosberg have been able to hold off Hamilton eh, maybe you know <laughs> yeah um, he's done it in the past um, he's also not done it in the past so um, <laughs> you know. yeah well let me tell you what's uh, not mathematically possible anymore and that's for Ferrari to win the constructors championship or any other team for that matter uh, Mercedes has in fact won it and it happened in this weird and bizarre set of circumstances where Kimi Raikkonen, his penalty dropped him from, I think it was fifth or fourth to eighth. No, it was fifth to eighth place. And so he only scored four points instead of what was it? Eight or 10. And because of that, here's how the math breaks down. There are now uh, four races to go. You can uh, a team can score up to forty three points a race. If they get a one two, right? if they get a one two, so that means there's a one hundred and seventy two possible points for a team to uh, earn between now and the end of the season. Mercedes has, so that's one hundred and seventy two. Mercedes now has five hundred and thirty one points. Ferrari has three hundred and fifty nine. That is one hundred and seventy two points apart from each other, which means they'd be tied if. Mercedes did not score another point, and it was a Ferrari 1-2 from here to the end. Tiebreaker would be number of wins. Mercedes has it, so Mercedes has won the Constructors' Championship. They have just clinched it. It's done. And it's done. Right. So congratulations to second-time winners, Mercedes Grand Prix. Exactly. And it was funny because people uh, said, oh, it was Sochi uh, last year where Mercedes uh, won the Constructors. But I feel like that is... 
not really as impressive as it sounds because uh, last year they did it despite the fact that it was a double points race at the finale. So there was uh, there was another 43 points available. Right. So that means uh, this time last year, Mercedes was 43 points re- relatively so ahead of where they are this year, which means Ferrari has, in fact, closed the gap a little bit. And, and obviously... Uh, it was Ferrari, not Red Bull or Williams, that did the gap closing. So uh, Mercedes did win the Constructors' Championship. Mercedes was completely dominant this year, up to this point at least. Um, they've won the championship, but they were not quite as dominant as they were last year. And I just feel like that's an important point to make. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, so there's an article about it in uh, Autosport talking about, you know, sort of sharing the glory a little bit with Ross Braun because it was ultimately, you know, his team that, you know, he sold the vision uh, to Mercedes and it kind of, you know, started this, this you know, rebirth of the Mercedes factory team and all that. And so he's sharing some of the success. Um, but then it goes on and says, that, you know, by the time that the, the penalty was handed down and everything happened was like two hours after the race. So it was like all the people had left. So there wasn't really a ceremony or anything because it was like, oh, you know, everyone sort of probably heard about it on their, on their phones or whatever. Um, it says no satisfaction for Rosberg. It's like, oh, does it make you feel any better even though you were out of the race today that you were leading and you were on pole for? The fact that your team has won Constructors' Championship? It's like, no. Like, <laughs> why would that make me feel better? Right, it's like, exactly. we've been dominant. I was like as dominant as I could be this weekend. And my freaking, you know, throttle broke. And no, that doesn't make me feel better. It's like, yeah, that's great, the team, but but, but no, that's no comfort for me. So like, check this out, though. There's 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 more interesting news in Constructors Championship. Ferrari is second, Williams is third. Those both look pretty darn comfortable to me. Red Bull is fourth. That's also fairly comfortable, but fifth place also pretty darn comfortable. Force India, thanks uh, thanks to Sergio Perez podium. That's another fifteen points. Uh, Force India is now 92 points in the Constructors' Championship uh, in fifth. Behind them is Lotus in sixth with only 66 points. So Force India is looking more and more likely of securing fifth in the Constructors' Championship. They're a small team. That's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, that's great to, um, you know, sort of solidify them as, uh, as, as, a, as a factor there. And like I've been saying for a while now, you know, Mexico is going to be a big deal for them as well. Um, with all the, the connections there, and obviously Checo Perez. Yes, so, um, and they had the momentum going, which is wonderful. Yeah, so, and on the podium today, uh, you know, Checo was saying, yeah, this is really great, like, to get on the podium again, whatever, but it's like, but dude, Mexico is going to be amazing! <laughs> like, he's so geeked up for it, and rightfully so. And Well, and, and look, they qualified, I don't was it 6th and 7th, but they qualified, Nico Hulkenberg, I think it was 6th and 8th, so they were both in Q3. Nico Hulkenberg qualified that car sixth on the grid. Yep, sixth and seventh. Checo was in seventh. Yeah, so there you go. So they've they've been they've been a strong team, and, but their all their updates. They said that they were kind of kind of come in steps, showing that their final uh, big update has proved quite effective, and I'm I couldn't be happier for them. Yeah, I think I think it's great, and uh, you know we also are excited for any any new Grand Prix on the calendar is exciting, and you know Mexico is a really cool country, and I've been to that track a number of times, and I'm excited about it anyway. And you know, taste of the race for Mexico Grand Prix is going to be right up our alley. We're going to be all over that. We're all over that one, and uh, and it's it's you know it's it's good for a number rate for a number of reasons, and it's on, you know on our time zone, it's coming up in just uh, three weeks time, so uh, it's exciting times to uh, you know for Force India for Checo. And, uh, you know, and, and it's it's a shame for Nico, of course. Uh, you know, he got caught up in, uh, I, I guess, it seems like it was mostly his error, his spin in the beginning that, of course, caused the first safety car uh, when Nico Hulkenberg, uh, you know, spun around and then uh, got into, um, who was it, uh, Nasser? Oh, uh, no, Erickson. No, Erickson. Uh, right, Erickson. Uh, and then Verstappen as well, he got the tire down. But, um, 
you know, that's a shame. Um, the other thing that, uh, that did come out in the last couple of weeks was the 2016 calendar. They had already published a draft of the 2016 Formula One calendar. There was a pretty big update. It shuffled a lot of things around, including putting the European Grand Prix on the same weekend as Le Mans. Dumb. Yeah, which is dumb anyway for race fans, uh, people that want to follow these things and, and, you know, keep track of what's going on and, you know, you know just physically watching it. Uh, when you've got a 24-hour race that goes from 9 a.m. Saturday to 9 a.m. Sunday, um, in, that's in our time, but, you know, what, 3 in the afternoon is it? Or yeah, 3 to 3. It's like, when are you going to have your race that's not that? Um, so they're, they're doing the race, like, later in the afternoon in, uh, you know, I guess, I don't know, it's, they're trying to schedule it around so that, like, the finish of the race, you know, they can it's like you can finish the one race and go back to Lamar or whatever, but it's just... That seems dumb anyway. They've always in the past, um, not always, but as long as we can remember, um, you know, not done Formula One on Le Mans weekend. They figured right. it's another top tier motorsport event. Um, we're going to, you know, let that have its day. I mean, and it is. work around it. And it's the single biggest racing event of the year, I think. I'm Well, it depends. I mean, that's certainly subjective. But the Indy 500 and stuff, which right. always does fall within Monaco, yeah, but that's the its Indy, own thing. Yeah, the Indy 500 is, the Indy 500 is the single most, like, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot there's of ways, a lot of ways to, to slice it, but um, but Le Mans is, but Le Mans is one of the big ones of the year, right. right? There's the Daytona 500 for NASCAR, there's the Monaco Grand Prix for Formula One, and there's the 24 Hours of Le Mans for World Endurance Championship. Those are those are the three three big ones. Oh, and the Indy 500, the Indy 500 for IndyCar. So that is one of the big four races of the year, right? And it's one of those races that um, crosses disciplines, right? People that are usually Formula One fans will watch other things. Usually IndyCar fans will watch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and th- that's just the spectators. But think of, you know, the drivers. In this case, you know, it's not that common that we have it, but it was really cool with Nico Hulkenberg. Not only did he take part, he won, you know, with Porsche. And we want to see him defend it. And Big it's like, time. And so, and now he said, if, it, if you know, if the schedule doesn't change and the two races are on the same weekend, he says he's not going to sit out a Formula One race to go do Le Mans, um, which... You know, it's there's a small part of me that's like Nico. You sure? It's like that would be so cool, though. You know, it's like and it's and it's the European Grand Prix at the Baku Circuit in Azerbaijan, which a lot of people are are giving a lot of crap, but actually seems like a really cool place and a really cool city. I mean, there's all kinds of you know potential you know political issues and various problems and and so on. So I don't want to get into that. But in terms of like some people saying, oh, why in the hell would we go to Azerbaijan? It's like actually Azerbaijan uh, looks like a really cool place to go, and this city looks like a weird combination of really old and new kind of you know architecture and styles and influences and so on. So I'm you know, a little bit excited to see that as a place. And it's, um, I, you know, I don't have any plans to go there right now with my family or whatever, but, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing and it's sort of cool that I think it's cool that they're doing it. Um, but it's, it's tough that like, that that has to be the one that, um, you know, uh, goes up against Lamar in the same weekend. So it's too bad for Nico um, that he's not going to be able to, uh, at least for now, you know, it seems like this. It is preliminary. You know, it seems. And they could have, it could change. Right. Things could change. And there were some pretty big changes already in the the last one. But I think uh, the word on the street is that this is the final uh, calendar. So, you know, that is what it is. But uh, I don't get most of my Formula One news from the street. Yeah. Well, word word on this one, they're they're pretty they're pretty good on this. I I this is a compelling reason to move to your street. Yeah, sir. it's a good street. Yeah, very good street. Um, God. So yeah, other stuff happened in the race. Well, the big thing, of course, is Kimi Raikkonen and Valtteri Bottas. 
Battle of the Finns. I don't know. Um, but the, the, so was the it was it was a great battle was, all race long. It has to be said, right? And it's really the battle for sort of third and fourth, um, depending on how it you know how it depending shook on out. how it shook out. Um, but uh, you know, Ricardo was in there until he wasn't. Um, he just had uh, some kind of like, suspension failure or something, and he you know he had to uh, yeah he just he retired with a couple laps to go. But um, when it really came down to Checo Perez, Ricardo was in there, but he was also on really old tires, right? And both Botas and Raikkonen passed him on the track before he had his issue, right? Um, but uh, the uh, you know so Checo Perez in third, who had you know pitted, did brilliantly well, you know, have to say early on, and just was was nursing those tires. And you know, doing well to you know to the strategy call went well for the guys, and uh, and then to just you know have the drive to, to keep up with that. Um, so of course, Checo and went. Perez was also on really old tires. That's what I'm saying. Is Checo right? What you're just saying? <laughs> yes, that guy. So um, uh, so Checo went from third to fifth when Botas got around him and Raikkonen got around him, um, and so it was like, oh, well, that was cool. It lasted, but I guess he's not going to be on the podium. Then, like moments later, uh, you know, less they, than a lap, the two got together, and this is on the last lap of the race. And all of a sudden, Checo is like, he's like, he's going from, man, I'm in third, but man, this is really tough. And I'm sure he's like looking at his mirrors and he's like worried about his tires and all that. <laughs> and he's just like, oh crap, those guys got by me. You know, there's nothing really, he, he really, you know, probably did the best he could to defend, but you know, is what it is. He says, okay, I guess fourth. Oh man, I guess fifth now. Reagan has gotten around me as well. So he's probably like kind of bummed out, like, oh man, fifth place is, is good, but man, the podium would have been great. And then he goes by and sees, um, uh, you know, Botas's car <laughs> stranded on the side of the, uh, the track. and limping along and in half speed. throwing sparks everywhere. And, and Checo just being like, uh, sweet. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, I guess I'll take it. I just, you just, you, you got it. You know, you know, there was a prior, please, God, anything you can do to get me in third place. It's like, oh, gosh, thanks. So, all right. So did you, I mean, obviously you saw the thing. Um, any uh, controversial opinions on this? Or do you agree that, you know, Raikkonen uh, basically just did the wrong thing? I'm in- a big fan of Raikkonen's. And I I replayed it on my own. I booped back, T-voted back a couple of times. Yeah, I was just was like, no, come on, that was totally. And then I look at like, no, Raikkonen, Raikkonen shoved it in the last moment. It wasn't quite there. And then he tried. Raikkonen himself realized it, but he did so too late. He was heavy on the brakes, but yeah. I heard it uh, compared to a Takumo Sato overtake attempt of like, oh, maybe this will work. Yeah. And it just yeah. didn't. And I think he kind of knew because there was a Raikkonen interview. And of course, Raikkonen's famous for his interviews um, after the race where he said, oh, well, how do you, you know, walk us through it from our side? And he's kind of like, yeah, well, once you're committed to a move, sometimes you can't really, uh, you can't really just disappear. It was like some of those, like, he was a little bit like, I kind of think I screwed up there. Like, you know, he wasn't outright being like, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Because he hadn't been penalized yet. This was right after the race. Right. Just, right, but, right. But it was a little bit like, yeah, well, uh, I haven't seen the video, but um, it was tricky, and I don't know if you saw me. I haven't me. seen the video, but I think that car was in front of me. Um, <laughs> and I, I made this thing, but then I couldn't change it once I had done it. And, well, like, you know, as honestly, much as you can tell from a Reagan interview, he was kind of like, uh, I screwed up. The Sorry. most the most telling part of it, actually, was uh, when they replayed uh, Botas' camera, in-car camera. Yeah. and Because, you know, it's overhead. Looking forward, there was never even the tiniest hint of a nose from the Ferrari. Right. He's going, he's going, and bam, he's, he's not, just he's gone. Yeah, so it's like okay, unless Botas was focused in on his uh, right side mirror, he wouldn't have seen Raikkonen. He right. just wasn't far along, and just expected the move to be kind of the, from that far from the outside to to really get his nose in there or whatever. So and think, and in Botas, he had not made any kind of defensive move himself. There was not any kind of hint of he even knew that Raikkonen was close. Right. So, so it's it's too bad, you know, that I think even Reckon is just like, oh, yeah, I got a little overeager on that one and screwed it up. And it's unfortunate, mostly for Botas, because he was, you know, he was sort of the... Well, that's the irony of it, because uh, 
Raikkonen actually, there was talk about Botas actually jumping Raikkonen in the Drivers' Championship. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, he was not going to jump, but he was going to close in, winning, you know, third and fourth place as a finish. But then Raikkonen, even with the penalty, actually pulls a little bit more of a gap. Yeah, I mean, Raikkonen gets four points and Botas gets zero. Yeah. So it's, it's really unfortunate for Botas. And uh, uh, Raikkonen gets three um, penalty points, you know, the license, uh, uh, right. you know, uh, what is it, demerit points or whatever for uh, for that. So it's like, okay, he screwed up. And But, you know, at least I think we're all in agreement on that. I think, you know, after looking at the footage, that's kind of what a lot of people have said. It's like, I like Raikkonen, but come on, <laughs> dude, yeah, you know. It was a stretch. That one was a stretch. And... You just have to, you know, just have to own it. The only thing I'll say is it does make me, I kind of don't want, I don't want people to get penalized for trying to pass. And that's what it was, was a last lap attempt for passing. But even then, even then it's like, okay, that was kind of, that was a stretch even for that. Because like, I feel like penalties are too easily handled out handed out for passing and i don't like that but yeah this one even even in those circumstances was pretty fair right well that so the 10 sec it was a 10 second stop go penalty so if the race had continued he would have had to do 10 seconds at his pit stop um you know but then because of course the race had ended it was you know converted into a 30 second um penalty and then the um three points on his license so it's not like oh 10 grid spots at the next race or oh you're disqualified you know it wasn't some massive kind of thing it was like uh, you really should have done that, and of course, part of the part of what they can look at is the result was, um, you know, of course, Raikkonen's car was messed up, but he was able to to finish uh, the race. Um, but that you know, the guy he was, you know, he made this attempt on that he you know spun him off into the wall. Like it was a pretty, you know, it wasn't a, like a safety concern kind of a thing. I mean, you know, this, like like we've talked about, these cars have gotten so safe in the track and everything. But the um, but it's like. Yeah, really, it wasn't just like an innocent, like, oh, tried, sorry, it didn't work. But it's like, no, nah, you did screw up his race, and yeah, you messed up your own. But, like, you know, it seems like a reasonable penalty, in my opinion, for, for what it was uh, based on, you know, how it all happened. Um, what would be, like, the finish equivalent of, like, like a sorry card and maybe flowers? Like, what would it, would it be like, here's a gift card to Asana? No, that, that, I mean, like, what would my, my thought is it involved Asana as well, but it's like, it's like there's like a big... Uh, like, like a bundle of leaves, I'm thinking, and you, like, smack the other guy, like, Botas is like, okay, <laughs> I get ten lashings. <laughs> <laughs> They're both naked, of course. Well, of course. Um, and then it's like, okay, okay, uh, 15 lashings. <laughs> okay. And Botas is like, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I'm pretty sure that that's how it works. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate your confidence. Hey, so other people finished the race and that stuff happened, but I don't know. I think it's time to predict. Okay, well, uh, quickly... Um, Carlos Sainz, dude had a big crash, but he was fine. Um, it was, you know, one of these, oh, let's take him to the hospital and check him out. Oh, um, yeah, and then Romain. Uh, and that was, but so, so thankfully, you know, we got some, and it's, it's great with, like, Twitter and stuff these days, too. I mean, you know, part of, uh, Felipe Massa actually said, you know, this, the way that, like, getting information about drivers and stuff, like, this really, they should be, there should be some better, more centralized way of um, letting you know, like, when someone's had a, you know, when there's been a crash, the, how quickly the marshals get there and stuff, you know, that stuff has been looked at pretty well. But even just kind of sharing information of, like, hey, is this guy okay or whatever, you know, the fact that it was... Um, you know, people trying to find out, like, you know, Carlos Sainz Jr. was tweeting from the hospital, like, hey, guys, I'm okay, and, like, thumbs up, um, which um, is, is good, obviously, to, to get this information out. But the fact that there's not, you know, as many official channels and stuff has been has been looked at a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Twitter is kind of an unofficial official. I, I wouldn't worry about yeah, that Yeah, but, much. you know, Sebastian Vettel doesn't have Twitter. Camille Reichert doesn't have Twitter. No, so I'm glad you brought that up, though, because Carlos Sainz 
ended up having brake trouble at the end of the race anyway. Right. Spun with a few laps to go, and then just, I don't even know if it was full lap after that, spun again and ended up tapping the wall. Right. So had a crash, he crashed himself out of the race, but not because of his own fault. His brakes were just gone. They yeah, were, he said he had some dizziness early in the race. Yes, and dealt with I that, read but that, then yeah. kind of like worked through it and said, "Oh, I guess I'm okay." And then you know, was carrying on. This doesn't seem related to that. Although our, our commentators made a good point that you know he may have been a little bit conservative, putting the brake bias more frontward um, to not have uh, to not overheat the rears and, and potentially lose the rear end like he did in his crash, and uh, and that may have contributed to the the front brake wear being as severe as it was. Um, so it's like in a very sort of indirect way, um, yeah, an adjustment to the car, but. Uh, but yeah, not because of any medical effects, right? Uh, and that's almost—I mean—that's almost searching for a way to blame Carlos. I, you know what I mean? Like it's like, yeah, if if this and if this and if this, then yes. But well, Verstappen didn't have—you know—he's got the same car and he didn't have brake troubles, so whatever. It's it's a it's a you know, it's a different you know that's sort of a a, a loose link to uh, to what's possible, but it's, it's a possible explanation as to what went on. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not disputing that in of itself. I'm saying just don't. Don't put too much weight on it, I guess, is what I'm asking of folks. And then, but also, uh, Romain Grosjean had a big accident and uh, he was okay, but that was a big shunt. Yeah, and he said, you know, they asked about, oh, was there a failure with the car and stuff? And basically, he's like, oh, we don't know. Um, you know, and I guess as a, as a driver, you don't want to immediately say, oh, yeah, no, I don't know. I, I totally screwed up and, you know, the car was fine. If then later it's like, oh, actually, it wasn't your fault at all. Like, you know, you want to, you don't want to come off as, blaming everyone else all the time but also if it's not your fault and you're like i don't know why i crashed then uh you know you, you want to try to you know wait until you understand what's going on and it did look like uh, you know the car was a little bit askew and, and it's like maybe just through that you know long you know high g corner uh that's what the car normally looks like and uh, just looking at it in slow motion and seeing it but it did look like it was a little bit weird like maybe a, a suspension thing was was a little bit out of whack or you know i don't think a tire was going down they would have known that but um but yeah it was um, it just all kind of went wrong for him in a, in a fairly quick section of the track and, uh, it was, you know, just parts, bits flying everywhere. Uh, the weird thing of that was, um, you know, they brought the medical car there. He did get out of the car himself. And like you said, he was fine. He was just doing interviews right away. You know, it wasn't even like he had to go to the hospital. It's just some, you know, quick medical checks and he said, okay, no, you're okay. Uh, their, their fix for the, um, for the barriers though was duct tape. As uh, was there some some pictures online that are showing it's like yeah apparently in the GP two race they actually had to you know red flag a race and, and actually repair barriers yes. and do a proper thing which of course we've seen like Silverstone a couple of years ago um, where they had to do a, a whole big long repair the barriers thing um, but the um, uh, in this case they're like oh if we just tape it up then it's like uh, that's a little bit you know it's, 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 I, don't, I don't know the details of where you know exactly the barrier and how load bearing and of course the chances of another car having an incident right there and whatever but it is it does raise one of those questions of like. That's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, if, if this hadn't happened and this other thing hadn't happened and this other thing, then we would have been safe. But because well, situation, you know, circumstances are what they are, it's like you never know. Of course, Vladimir Putin was there himself, and he was probably keeping an eye on budgets. And he said, eh, and people didn't want to piss off the Putin. You don't want, you don't want to mess with that guy. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I think that predicting for the United States Grand Prix is going to be exciting. Because the United States Grand Prix is exciting because it's in the United States, which is where we are. The official Grand Prix of barbecue brisket. Yes. Yes. Austin is such a great place. And that track is pretty, pretty darn good. Um, so our predictions model statistical uh, thing hasn't hasn't happened yet. Although, um, so, you know, I guess we, we won't go over the review uh, previous results yet. But um, the... The race happened, I mean, ultimately, it was Rosberg on pole, 
Lewis Hamilton won the race, which means that our boy that predicted right at the beginning of the year, one and done, Rosberg on pole, yeah. Hamilton the winner race, got a zero point result. And if you'll remember, we actually we talked about him. Was it last podcast or two podcasts podcasts ago? We said that hasn't happened yet this year. Right. Well, it happened. He got a zero point result. There it is. Uh, I do see a number. Was it? Is it Wes? Who? I'm sorry. I'm just trying to. The person that I don't remember. I'm sorry. I was looking at something else. I was looking at. We do have a couple of uh, Raikkonen win predictions for Russia, so those aren't going to go super well. Well, um, that's eighth. Do we have any Botox well, win predictions? Oh, but, well, anybody with predicted Rosberg for the win would be like the worst because he. I think he was cl- classified dead last. So anyone yeah. with Rosberg win? No, uh, 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 Rosberg was eighteenth. Uh, oh, right. uh, Ericsson was last. Hulkenberg was second yeah, to last. Right. Yeah. So anyone with a Rosberg prediction for the win, uh, which again would have been a really good prediction, would have uh, would have um, was would would be completely hosed here. But of course, the the Ham Ham folks, uh, you and me included, uh, came out just fine with one point for the uh, qualifying and zero for the race. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think we will see some shakeups because of uh, because of the Rosberg, um, especially the Rosberg. Um, I do uh, bonus points for Brian Hoover predicting Rossi Rossi. <laughs> Which he's not even in this race, but uh, <laughs> somehow that was uh, okay. Because we'll why not? We'll figure that out. Um, yeah, that's uh, up to our prediction stud. He'll pop this sort out, I guess. Um, but okay. Yeah, and it is it is Wes. Uh, I can't think of his last name, but it is Wes that uh, that gave us the one and done. Rosberg on pole, Hamilton the winner race prediction. Congratulations to you. You got it. You got, point, you got a zero point. You got a zero points finish today. Okay, so USGP. Yep. Vettel's done well there, and yes. he, Lewis Hamilton's done well there. Yes. Rosberg, not so much, but he's pretty strong right now if his throttle doesn't break, which presumably it won't next time. Yes. Uh, Damien, the statistical model, thinks uh, probably it's going to be Rosberg-Hamilton again, because that's what it does. What do you think? I think that Lewis Hamilton is going to be on pole, <laughs> and Lewis Hamilton's going to win the race. I'm sorry. Give me a reason to think otherwise. I have not had one yet, and, you know, okay. Lewis Hamilton is better than average here, and he's quite good when he's average. So give me a reason to go otherwise. I just – I don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I don't think I'll change mine either. I mean, you know, maybe Rosberg will come back and do something amazing, but maybe not. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm going to stick with the herd on this one, and, um, and uh, you will too. So – I uh, just leave it where it is and uh, set the dial for Hamilton and let it ride, as they say. No one says that. I just did. And we just said <laughs> now one person has said that. That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got, we got that sorted out. Um, man, oh, yeah, so all the way from um, yeah, the uh, emissions scandal to uh, set the dial and let it ride. Man, well, we, hey, covered, I mean, we, we uh, run the gamut, as they say, and it's going to be uh, – this is not our closest race. We are much, much closer to Montreal than we are to Austin, Texas. But this is our uh, one and only home country race. We are very excited for that. Alexander Rossi will be back in the car. Alexander Rossi will be back in the car. He was not in the car. He was racing GP2, and he won the GP2 race. Nice. But not the championship. Is that done? I think it is. Oh, uh, the guy Dern. Did, um, not Stoffel, but uh, dang it, I had this in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever. I mean, that I believe means three wins in the season, though. 
And he then he because he was second at the time, so he had to at least maintain second. Yeah, it is Stoffel Van Dorn. That's right. Yeah, GP two champion. Right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so wow. Brain so, fart. but anyway, to finish to finish the GP two season with the win, that's a good thing. He was a three time GP two winner this year, and he's he's every Formula One race he's been in, which is two, he's been ahead of his teammate. Yep. So things are going well for the young. I love saying this: the young American in Formula One. So okay, so GP two does have um, uh, one more race in Bahrain. Ah, uh, Stoffel Van Dorn did uh, clinch the championship. He's got two hundred seventy-seven and a half points. Rossi is second place, but now mathematically not going to win uh, outright. But uh, yeah, Rossi's got a nice lead over third, uh, and it's it's good from there. So um, you know, it was a solid performance from Alexander Rossi, but unfortunately, uh, he was just uh, you know excluded from being a potential GP two championship winner. But yeah, as you say, to uh, you know win races and uh, and carry on is always good stuff. So we are excited about Austin. Um, hopefully we can do a little bit more on our time zone. Uh, we had a busy, you know, very busy weekend and, and previous week and all that. Um, so uh, this this time, uh, you know, this was a very early, um, would have been a very early time for us to wake up and get together. Yeah, to, uh, an hour earlier than usual. To do the thing. And, yeah. And I was on um, two time zones away anyway and, uh, you know, yeah, making up for that. So anyway, um, keep an eye on <laughs> We our, have lots of excuses at this point. Our Facebook page, our Twitter page, and most of all, funwithcars.com, uh, where you can see the shows. You can see show notes for every episode. Uh, you can comment on the links uh, right there and see links to the stories we talk about. And, uh, and of course, see links to all the other fun things that we do. And uh, hopefully in the coming two weeks, uh, we'll have a little bit more, maybe some uh, you know live tweeting and fun stuff going on, uh, potentially more stuff uh, to... Uh, go surrounding both the U.S. Grand Prix and then a week later, the Mexican GP as well. Yeah, because like uh, all Americans, we think more is better because it is. <laughs> and on that bombshell, <laughs> thank you as always for listening. I am Jim Lyle. And I'm Robin Warner. Looking forward to say yeehaw.